0: Before we get into today's episode, I want to thank a couple sponsors that we were able to secure for this season, uh, season five of the Scuttlebutt. It's exciting to be able to get sponsors for this. Uh, We're really thankful for them. Uh, The first one, you might have heard them already, is D&D Metal Recycling and Auto Salvage. The Scuttlebutt's been pairing with D&D for quite some time. Uh, D&D began as a small hauling and used auto parts operation in the Pittsburgh area in the late 1970s and has grown into a full-service metal recycling company with two locations, Lawrenceville and Tarentum. These are state-of-the-art scrapyards with deep roots in the community and a strong commitment to the service of their customers. D and D accepts all types of metal, both ferrous and non-ferrous, that may be generated by industrial manufacturing, construction, and demolition, small commercial entities, as well as individual customers. They have a wide variety of material handling equipment and are capable of managing any job in a timely and efficient manner. You can contact them for quotes and availability at D and D. That's D and D. Autosalvage.com. Thank you, DD, for supporting this podcast. Uh, been wonderful collaborating with you, and uh, we're looking forward to, to being with you uh, all through season five here. We'd also like to thank a new sponsor for the Scuttlebutt, Tobacco Free Adagio Health. Tobacco-Free Adagio Health is dedicated to preventing and reducing tobacco use and increasing education about tobacco hazards and secondhand smoke. Of course, the best way to be tobacco-free is to never start, and we'll be sharing more about the many programs offered by Tobacco-Free Adagio Health in the future. You can check out more of their work at tobacco-free.adagiohealth, that's health.org, tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org, tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org. Org, um, really excited to have sponsors on board uh, for the scuttlebutt, and uh, I hope you enjoy this upcoming episode. As a civilian, and maybe somebody who you know, years ago I could probably watch any war movie and feel for the characters and be interested in the story and really enjoy the the film and overall the experience. But I think the time that I've spent talking with veterans over the past couple years and the stories I've heard, the real stories that I've heard, I watch a movie like this and it affects me more. Uh, now than it did a couple years ago. It affects me more now to watch what I know these guys went through and the losses they experienced um, because of the time I've spent with veterans. And- Welcome everyone to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a non in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect educate, heal, and inspire. A lot of times we just cover military topics, uh, and if you've been with us for a while, you may have seen a previous episode of Whenever I Bring in the Band Back Together. I like to get our co-hosts Ryan All, Catherine Guyon, and Evan Malgrave in to review some post-9-11 war movies. Now, there's been tons of war movies on World War II, on Vietnam, even even on Korea, um, but The recently, like sort of recent history of conflict, the post 9-11 generation, there's only so many films uh, that you can look through. So if you've never seen any post 9-11 war movies, we're here to sort of review a lot of these um, and bring them to you. Well, the two that we have for you today, really interesting. Um, I think we have a lot to say about these two movies. Uh, First is going to be The Outpost, which you can view on Netflix. This was a 2020 American War film directed by Rod Lurie, based on the 2012 nonfiction book The Outpost, an untold story of American valor by Jake Tapper. And this film concerns the Battle of Kamdesh, Uh, during the war in Afghanistan. And it stars Scott Eastwood, Caleb Landry Jones, Orlando Bloom, uh, a really great cast of of guys. This was a really good film, I felt, uh, but we'll get into that review here in the actual episode. Uh, The second movie is actually called uh, Kajaki, The True Story, but that was the British name of the film. It was later released in North America as Kilo Two Bravo. This is a 2014 British war docudrama film directed by Paul Cadis. We're going to certainly talk about this one. Uh, I have a lot to say about it. It was I really liked it. Um, but we're also going to get the reviews from our co-hosts, Ryan, Catherine, and Evan. Uh, again, thank you to our sponsors, D&D Auto Salvage and Tobacco Free Adagio Help for collaborating with us. Um, and also, if this is your first time watching The Scuttlebutt, uh, please like, share, subscribe, ring the bell on YouTube, comment on YouTube. Uh, we love hearing from our fans and from our audience. Send me an email at sean S-H-A-U-N, at Uh, especially if you have any other film ideas that you'd say, hey, watch these two. Uh, we'd love to, to hear your take on them. Um, so without further ado, enjoy the show.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Ryan All. I'm a U.S. Army veteran. Uh, Deployed to Iraq a few times, and I currently work for the Pittsburgh Vet Center, an organization that provides uh, cost-free and confidential counseling for
0: veterans and their families. And you're about to retire, or have you retired?
1: I hit 20 years last week, uh, and I'm waiting for that official notification, and then I will
0: be retiring.
2: Yes.
1: Oh, we have to have
2: a VBC virtual retirement celebration (laughs) for Ryan. Yeah.
0: Scuttlebutt audience, I'm sure, will send in some congratulations, uh, Ryan. Uh, that's an order, certainly. Um, fantastic news. How or or jokes
1: or insults. I'll accept those as well. I enjoy <laughs> that.
2: I think in your retirement, you should uh, make the uh, hashtag Ryan's Rant TikTok that I uh, called for several movie reviews ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we need a new one. Um, Catherine, welcome back.
2: Hello. Good to be back. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Catherine Guyon. I am Not a veteran, um, but I have a deep appreciation for our veterans and a love of sharing their stories. I am a news anchor by trade. Um, I'm a mom. I have a little bit of uh, military history in my family. I'm the proud granddaughter of a World War II veteran. So uh, happy to be here again and uh, talk more movies.
0: Evan, welcome back for our movie review episode. It's great to have a filmmaker on board.
3: Appreciate it. Uh, my name is Evan Mulgrave. Uh, I am a filmmaker. And um, in 2018, I traveled with the Veterans Breakfast Club to Vietnam to document um, six uh, veterans returning to Vietnam for the first time in 50 years um, and uh, made the documentary We Left as Brothers, which hopefully will be out streaming um, early this year.
0: It's fantastic Uh, for our audience. If you have not seen it yet, uh, we will get the information to you as soon as it's streaming. Um, A really wonderful, wonderful documentary um, that Evan and his team created. Um, Well, if you've been with us before, then you know we've done some movie reviews and from the intro you know that these are post 9-11 more movies that we like to dive into and I will say that I didn't say in the intro is that both of the movies that we reviewed this time were based on true stories so if you uh, are lacking in your post 9-11 knowledge these are two movies that I think uh, that uh, would be of interest to you but Evan you picked this these two I was uh, super excited to watch both of them I figured we'd start with the outpost Um, can you give us sort of like bird's eye view what was the outpost and, and what was it about
3: uh the outpost is a twenty twenty film um and it is uh about a combat unit um stationed in i believe it's called outpost keating mm-hmm. um and it's a uh, very remote outpost uh with very uh not great logistics it's in a very uh disadvantageous position very dangerous um and it's about um you follow them for i i don't know what the time period is close to a year or something like that um but uh it's about their kind of the the, their struggles of trying to hold that position um and then it all leads up to uh, a large battle i believe it's called the battle of kamdash and um it's one of the uh bloodiest battles uh in the afghan war as i understand and um yeah, it's uh I thought it was an excellent film. Why and, did you pick it? Um well, you ha- had tasked me for picking two movies. <laughs> um, so I did a little research and I tried to find some of the ones that were uh that I may have missed um that were critically acclaimed or, or had gotten some good write-ups and this was one towards the top of the list. It was based on a true story as well, which um I was I was more interested in, I think that um uh, a lot of the stories of those t- two wars sometimes don't um get told as much um uh, so i was interested in checking it out for for a couple of different reasons both because it sounded like a good movie but also the the story itself was something i was interested in
0: from a like a logistic standpoint ryan can you give us some clarity as to like why this base was there and what was why was it disadvantageous uh for them to be in that particular position <laughs>
1: Sure. So, you know, um, during the the global war on terror, both in Iraq and Afghanistan, the the strategy was taken to you know move these large scale units out into outposts, out in the uh, out into the community, out into places that were typically indefensible, right? Because you really only control the ground that you're standing on, especially in the in the nature of warfare that we were fighting there against, you know. Uh, uh, you know, against um, non-uniform combatants, you know, operating in, in the, you know, in the community. Um, so the idea was like, get, the, get our forces out there where they can be, where we're moving, where we can see them, where we can provide more, uh, you know, support more quickly. And in Afghanistan, right, uh, if you're not familiar with the geography of Afghanistan, right, it's extremely mountainous, um, very hard to get around. Um, so these outposts that were out there, especially this one, um, was way out there, right? Uh, almost inaccessible by road to a certain point or very, very long uh, trips to get there by road, um, even long to get there by helicopter. Uh, but the idea was, was to get the forces out, out there. Um, and then, you know, when you talk about logistic challenges, right, everything that you're talking about, food, water, gasoline, fuel, um, ammunition, all of those things, Um, that become high priority targets if you're moving them from a large base to a small base across these unimproved roads over mountain ranges, you know, it becomes very easy for insurgents to attack these, you know, convoys of support. Uh, And then you compound that with, uh, you know, getting a lot of these supplies There are heavy and you need a lot of them. So then doing it by air uh, still becomes difficult. And then you have to deal with weather at uh, at those types of situations as well. And then you talk about tactically, logistically, right? The, the outpost, which is pointed out in the film, um, is surrounded by high ground, right? There are, you know, thousands of advantageous positions for insurgents to shoot down at you, and that's never really a situation where you want to be in, uh, in, a, you know, in a in a firefight.
0: Had you walked onto Camp Keating yourself, would you have been like, "This is nuts"? Like,
1: yeah, yeah, I think we definitely would have been nuts. And there were there were situations in Afghanistan where. Um, Officers were relieved uh, and given letters of reprimand for picking and supporting and putting these units in these situations, which were untenable. Um, so, you know, places like Camp Keating are good examples of that, where the due diligence wasn't done, um, and that the the support and the the, the tactical uh, sense uh, wasn't wasn't there. But they were they moved forward with it anyway, and that was irresponsible. So.
0: Uh, and Taliban really was. They would see that very quickly in the film, that they were just sort of taking pot shots uh, at the unit down in Camp Keating pretty consistently. Mm-hmm. They say in the movie, you know, every time they test us, they're just trying to figure out where the weaknesses are. Um, so, Catherine, did you did you have that sense of uh, claustrophobia that, that I think they did well as a f- filmmaker? I
2: did. Well, I like this movie from the start, I have had like almost a sense of dread watching it the whole time because I just felt like I'm I mean I'm a civilian and not to make light of it but even I know that like high ground works best so like I just felt from the get-go as they were choppering in and they were talking about this place I was like this is just not going to end well and I'm somebody that I kind of went into this line in a way like I did not know this story and now I'm glad I know it but I I just felt like there it felt like there was nowhere to go like even when they tried to get out I mean you had that heartbreaking scene where that truck goes over the road in that convoy. It just felt like every time they tried to get out, they physically couldn't unless they scaled a mountain, like when they were out on patrol. I just I wrote a note um to myself, like even from that first scene where they're choppering in, I was like, This is gonna be this is going to be a tough one because I just I just felt like this is not going to end well because and I think they felt it too, which was the sad part. It felt like they felt they were going into a hopeless situation almost.
0: as a filmmaker, you're watching this, and I, I thought the directors did a really fantastic job sort of creating that environment. Uh, you're not, they weren't filming, you know, in Afghanistan, but they uh, really made it look uh, ominous. Uh, everywhere you looked, there was, there was danger. You, and Catherine's right, you really sort of get into this movie and, and, and know that there, it, something bad's going to happen.
3: I would agree. Yeah, I think uh, I I thought the director did a great job. There's a there's a shot very early on where Scott Eastwood uh, walks out and the camera just kind of pans around and there's just mountains everywhere you go. You really do feel like you're you're closed into this place. You're trapped. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, one of the things that I love when a film does well is give you a sense of space, especially with and that's tough to do in war movies because oftentimes there's a lot of cuts constantly. So you don't know where people are in relation of this, but, you know, they they do a good job of laying out the outpost in a way of, you know, here's where the mortars are. Here's, you know, the LVs where we protect the mortars. So you do, you feel like you're kind of living in that space with them. You understand what's important in these areas and things like that. And uh, I think the camera work in general was excellent in the film. There's a lot of like very long takes. Um, There isn't a ton of that kind of cutting, you know, a lot of um, modern war movies, I feel like are that way. They're kind of that documentary style where it's tight on people's faces and we're cutting all over the place. But in this film, the camera stays with characters for long periods of time. So, uh, you know, I think it, it also helps build that sense of you're trapped there with them. You know the camera is not going to pull away to uh, another shot to something else happening. You're stuck with these people in these you know harrowing situations. So yeah, I thought the filmmakers did a great job at doing that.
2: And to that point, Evan, I like how you're leading up to that day, and there's that scene where they all go on kind of a patrol up to the mountains, and they're looking down, and they ask each other like, if it was you, how would you attack? And it really goes through um, like the different buildings. So when I saw that overhead shot of it I was almost like oh my gosh like that's when it really hit me truly like how they had no place to go but also as the movie unfolded the way it did that kind of gave me a context as everybody was running to different places and you know you saw their generator take a hit and all that kind of stuff it it gave me like an appreciation for where everything was and where these guys were trying to go so I that part of like setting it up I thought was extremely well done I would agree with you
1: yeah, I, I I agree as well. I mean, I think that one of the things that really stuck with me of the outpost is just how uh, you feel like you're there with them, like like everyone was saying, and how just like gritty and dirty and sweaty and almost like you could smell the film, right? And yeah. uh, and how they how they didn't you know they didn't want it to be clean, or at least that seemed to be an intentional choice. Like we want you to see like how it is, and then those long periods in the when the fighting really really kicks off in earnest like how you're with that person and you just feel like you're you're moving through that battle space with them and just how crazy and confusing and and you know dangerous it is and I remember watching this movie and and uh uh, my my wife was there with me and and she reached over and she's like are you okay and I'm like what do you mean she's like you're breathing really heavy I was like yeah yeah I guess I am like it felt like so intense like it was such a visceral experience um but yeah it was super well done I really. But it knew. felt
2: like more the one of the more real ones that like I had seen and like we had watched. Like both of these did actually. It like and I wrote that in the notes too. Like as I was watching through, this felt like you know more vivid and I think you said it like gritty. Like it just it felt kind of raw in a way, which was really authentic.
3: Yeah. I think t- too. What I appreciated was I feel like some of the post nine eleven war movies can put their themes in front of story and character. Like they, you know, they have something that they wanna say about the war or something that they wanna say about the conflict. So sometimes those can be very overt and they can go in front of story and in front of character. Whereas what I really liked about this film is I think it did a very good job of putting you um, in a sympathetic position with the character showing their day-to-day, showing the, the, um, you know, the positions that they're put in um, and the themes work their way in naturally. know like a good story does where you know you got a sense of you know uh the things that they have to deal with like in in uh like the bad logistics the bad situations that they're put in you know leadership changing and kind of the 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 goals shifting uh ptsd with like the caleb landry jones character and stuff like that but that wasn't you know thrust up front It, it all came naturally from the story and the characters
1: yeah, and I think that's why it's so effective. And then you see, uh, we'll probably get into this later, but there are there are common themes throughout both of the films that you, you know, just those things that you mentioned that I was like thinking those same things when I was watching um, uh, Kilo, Kilo 2 Brava.
0: Yeah. I completely agree about the sympathetic sort of rise because you have to spend some time with the unit. Any war movie, you, you got to get to know the characters or else you're kind of just not going to care because the chaos hits and it's just sort of like, you know, things happening, but you really got to spend time as a storyteller to, to give a sense of like what these guys are living like, how their interactions are, who's friends with who, them calling home, talking to their loved ones, you know, uh, they're sort of the trials and tribulations of, of daily life there, but also I thought they did a really good job of them interacting with the locals, sort of how uh, there was sort of a tribunal that they had to sit at and the communication barriers that they had to, to overcome um, before, you know, all the, all the crap hits the fan uh, you know, we, we really got a great sense of of what these guys are there to try to accomplish. It's like, okay, yeah, they, they logistically have a terrible forward operating base um, but they are there for this particular reason. And does that reason outweigh where they're at? You know uh, there's a lot of good questions that it brings up uh, before Um, you know, the main battle happens, which is, I I can't remember, like, it happens, it happens over a course of time in the, in the film, but it happens very quickly, like, the, the battle takes up a good chunk, Um, but you're following so many different characters, and it never gets confusing, because some guys are trapped in a Humvee, some guys are are trapped at the armory, some guys are trying to get over to the, um, the mortar, uh, mortar pit. Um, So you're kind of following all these things, and the filmmakers did a great job of just sort of weaving your way through all that, not only cinematography-wise, like, just actually following characters, um, but following storylines. And uh, I want to bring up this one thing that they said, Enemy on the Wire. The Enemy on the Wire is just like, you know, it's like the catchphrase of the movie, um, because that's, I think that was actually said. Of course, you know, the Taliban ended up coming down and actually coming into the base, um, which, that you never want to hear those words being shouted over the radio um but also just militarily brian i wanted to ask this question is yeah. they call for help when they start getting attacked not only there was there was a force that was coming in from the mountains on foot to sort of give support there and of course helicopters that would be sent in but it takes a while for all of that support to start happening
1: yeah and that's that that would be a you know uh every a unit has a, you know, a QRF, a quick reaction force. And at a, at an echelon higher of this company that's at that outpost, they should have like this battalion or brigade level QRF that is, that is designated to respond. If something like this starts to happen. And you would have to imagine that with them knowing that they're so remote, like you, you would have built into your battle plan, which I think they discussed a little bit in the movie. Like we're not going to, even if we call for help, as soon as the first shots fired, like we're not going to get help for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all sorts of other different things, you know, when they shout out enemy in the wire, right, that, that is just a, a that is a necessary um, announcement to make so that you know that, you know, there are going, there is possibility that enemies being behind you, not everyone behind this place is now a friendly, right. So you have to be aware of that so that um, you don't, you know, shoot a friendly or or fail to shoot a bad guy right and they there's all these other different sorts of defensive, you know, mechanisms and and tools that they use. Uh, to To try to keep them out. But once once that happens, like it's, you can see it happen. And this is a theme that happens in both movies, right? Is like, once one thing goes wrong and goes bad, like it just trickles into everything else and simple things even become hard, right? And you see that in the movie and, it, and at, at the sacrifice of life and blood, it, just to do a simple thing um, becomes so difficult when uh, those simple things break down. And when you know, now you're on the defensive and the enemy has the initiative and, and, and you're trying to just get to one from one place to the other, something that an hour ago, you could have just walked there. And now it, it could cost you your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: I like, I felt that even when they weren't under attack, because every time it was daytime early in the movie, it's almost like you're holding your breath, waiting to see like at what time during the day they're going to get fired at. And every time somebody would walk out of a building or like walk out from under a canopy or whatever, it's like, And and I think they did a good job in like creating a sense of that heightened danger because of where they were, because every time somebody would walk out into an open space, even when they weren't in in attack, I like felt myself taking like a little bit of a breath or like bracing myself because I was like, okay, is this the moment where they're going to come under attack? But I agree with you, like just watching them try to run ammunition these places was it it, like it was heartbreaking to watch sometimes because they it was like one person would go down and then the guy behind them would just pick up what they were carrying and keep trying to go and like you said it on a normal day they could just walk walk there you know and
0: not leave somebody behind if they were hit it was it was right to get them um the two guys trapped in the humvee that was intense serious because they were just being laid waste like they were trapped in there they couldn't move and it was um, you know, one guy was out, and uh he was uh, Caleb Landry Jones' character, wanting to go get him, and the other guy's like, "Don't, you're gonna get shot." Don't, and, he's, and you know, superior officer telling him, "Don't." He's like, "I'm gonna go," and it's like, there was such great rising tension through the whole thing. And I, you know, as a as a non-veteran myself, the, I think the only way that we can get even a, a a mental sense is by very good filmmaking, very very good filmmaking, because documentaries I feel like give you some sense, but they but the Hollywoodization of a movie can really start to like it can it can give you that different feel. Is that right, Evan?
3: Yeah, it heightens the reality, you know. Um, and and you know you can do things in a in a narrative film that you can't do in a documentary because you know you can stage uh, <laughs> you know something that you don't have to worry about the filmmakers being injured. You know, you can really put yourself. In that, um, in that situation. And, and I, the way that it was filmed and the way that it was so subjective with the characters, I think really what it built um, or what it gave a sense of just the chaos of those moments, of it could be coming from any direction because of the way that the outpost is set up. There's you know, mountains in every direction and you're on the, the, lower, um, the lower ground. So you know, there's 360 degrees of threat you know so if you want to make a run somewhere it's like you know you have to worry about here and here and here and you just don't know where it's going to come from and um yeah and I thought the script did a really good job of giving you you knew what was important it didn't hit you over the head with it like you knew that their mortar was kind of like their saving grace they were good at launching the mortars and that was a a great way of like neutralizing threats as they came in and when you know the big battle happens th- that is not possible like they they can't get their mortars up they can't go so like their biggest tool to um you know thwart these threats is th- they can't do it so now they're kind of on their own um kind of making it up as they go along you know kind of falling back into their plan of plan b then plan c then plan d and then you know so yeah i think that um good filmmaking can heighten uh, a reality that a documentary is not able to do uh when done well
0: true and you know i noticed that none of the it was very well acted overall which i do have a comment about in just a second but overall very well acted and that none of them were really losing it like the medics were taking care of business the guy in command of the of the the base was trying to like you know manage the, the chaos and you know what we need to do um but the only person that I kind of didn't have a really good feel for was, uh, Clint Eastwood's, what is it was that his cousin? Was that his brother? Was that no, his, like his son? His grandson, his son, his son right? Yeah. Scott, yeah, Eastwood. Scott Eastwood. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just felt like he was trying a little too hard to sound. And maybe, I don't know. He sounded like Captain America to me.
3: Sorry, pal, but that's life at Camp Keating. He's a little GI Joe in it. A little GI Joe. But, but I, you know, as a guy who grew up loving Clint Eastwood movies, the, the fact that we have a twenty-some-year-old, thirty-some-year-old guy that looks exactly like Clint Eastwood, you can drop into a a movie like this. I was like, "Let's go, let's do it," yeah. you know.
1: I felt the same way. Right? I, was, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, I don't even care, you know. There's an Eastwood talking tough in a movie with guns, and I can deal with it. you know. But okay, but but uh, yeah, it was it was. Um, I, I thought overall yeah it was pretty well acted and the uh um the gentleman who who i forget the actor's name but he uh he's the one who they show in the clinic at the very end and he was Caleb, awarded. Caleb Caleb Jones. Jones. Yeah. Jones. what yeah. a fantastic actor that guy is and so just he became like that you you know he became my favorite character as the movie progressed as i'm sure probably with most people but you know it showed um earlier on like these interactions between all of these soldiers. And um, I thought it did a pretty good job of that, of how there were like, you know, different different relationships and, um, you know, this kind of devil may care attitude, right? They're out there in this outpost and they know they could be killed at any time, right? Or they could just be overrun and they're just like, well, it is what it is. We got to just make the best of it, right? And then they joke about it and these morbid senses of humor, which, which have to almost as a survival mechanism evolve in these sort of situations. And, you know, and, and then he just... You, and then you see this this young man, this young soldier, go from being a person who's really much pretty much dismissed as a as a as an f up kind of soldier, you know, rise to you know rise to the occasion. And uh, I thought I thought that that was like really well done to show his kind of arc through the through the movie.
3: And I like too that it kind of gave two portrayals of heroism in the you know because they both win the Medal of Honor: Scott Eastwood's character and Caleb Landry Jones. And Scott Eastwood is kind of like the ideal version of heroism, kind of like this tough, like you know, the the stuff has hit the fan, but we got to do this, blah blah blah. And then Caleb Landry Jones is kind of like this, you know, what what an act of heroism can do, kind of on a psychological level. Like he did something heroic, but you know, the he. the brunt of that on an emotional and and psychological level and I I thought that that was really interesting kind of the yin and yang of those Mm -hmm. uh, of those two characters and
2: what you guys saying you guys were saying too about like the dialogue and the connections I thought it was interesting to see how everybody not only responded to each other but responded when you had like different um changes in command coming in and how they would respond to, like, their superiors in different ways. I mean, it, I guess, you know, it's kind of like everything, people respond to, like, their higher-ups in different ways, but, like, to see it in that setting, I thought all the um, actors did, like, a really good job of just portraying, like, how sometimes, like, different types of leadership and different personalities, like, clash and things like that, and, you know, also like one of the moments that I think like maybe got overlooked, but to me it was heartbreaking was when, you know, they kept coming in and saying, Hey, we're closing in July, we're closing this in November, and they kept backing it up. And like that was a moment that I think got overlooked that I found like really heartbreaking. Like they think they're going home soon and then they keep backing it up and backing it up, but just like those little moments of like the dialogue, I really appreciate it. And I'm somebody that when I watch a movie, like I always look for like those dialogues and connections. So I thought I agree with you all that, that was really well done. Mm-hmm yeah it Um, goes
1: back to like something that became a mantra for me in the army as i was going through is like i don't believe that anything is happening until it's actually happening. like you can tell me over and over it's going to happen on this day i'm like okay i'll believe when i see it you know Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) it's kind of like the guy yelling you know the taliban is coming you know they're coming they're coming and then they go yeah he's been saying that for two weeks you know (laughs) and then it happens you know
0: but in overall uh to for the outpost we give it a thumbs up definitely Definitely a thumbs up. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I have a book, which I'd like to, to read through um, just to get a further sense. I'm sure it fleshes out a lot more of this. Um, but it's based on the book by Jack, uh, Jake Tapper. Um, so uh, if you have not seen The Outpost, uh, definitely check it out. We'd love to hear from our audience about what your thoughts were. Jumping over to Kilo2Bravo, uh, which was actually called Ch- Ch- Kajaki uh, in, in Britain, uh, but then came to North America, was changed the name to Kilo2Bravo, um Evan I'm really happy that you suggested this film. It was it was incredible. Uh can you give us an overview?
3: Uh yeah, it's uh, about a um a British company uh, of soldiers um who they're kind of in an outpost where they don't see much action, not much is going on. Um and then they uh I believe they see the Taliban kind of setting up an outpost so they go to kind of check it out or um, Set up a sniper position. Y- yeah. And um, in doing so, they're crossing a dry riverbed and a mine goes off uh, injuring one of their um, one of their soldiers. And uh, then they kind of realize that they're stuck in a minefield. Um, and I believe I was reading more about it, but I believe they're Soviet mines from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it becomes uh, this kind of logistical battle of how do we get them out of here? We can't move because we're in a minefield. Um, and at one point, uh, I believe they they call in a helicopter, but it's not a Black Hawk helicopter, which can offer like a, a winch uh, to to pull out. It's a Chinook. Is that Chinook. Mm-hmm. Chinook. Chinook. And there's a lot of downward force, so that launches off another mine. And it kind of becomes this, um, uh, similar to The Outpost, a very claustrophobic tale of survival. And um, I thought one of the most like unflinching looks at the horrors of that war that I've seen, Mm -hmm. um, where, I mean, the injuries are so brutal. um, And um, yeah, I thought it was great.
2: This film made me uncomfortable the whole time in a good way and let me explain by what i mean like that i feel like people watch war movies for like the glory of it sometimes and they don't understand and they expect to see these like big battles and they don't understand that like this is depicting real life like people actually live through this and i just felt uncomfortable and horrified the whole time and that's what i loved most about it because it was so real and I think if anybody kind of wants a true sense of what people go through this is it and it gave me like it made me feel appreciative it made me feel scared for these guys I was sick to my stomach watching it by the end I was like I had tears in my eyes like when they were showing the end credits and when they were finally like in the helicopter because it was like they're fighting this invisible enemy the whole time that they can't see and you don't know what's what's going to happen. It was just so suspenseful. I like, I loved it. I just thought it was, again, this film was gritty and it was real. And that's I think the best thing about it.
1: Yeah, so I didn't, I uh, I was not familiar with this movie. Um, and I sat down and I watched it actually yesterday. So my thoughts are very fresh. And I had an idea of like where this movie was going to go. So I was like watching it and I was like taking all these notes. I'm like, okay. So we got all these British guys and they haven't seen any action for a while. And they're out there just hobnobbing around like they had for the first like 20 minutes of the film it just seemed like they didn't have care in the world right they're suntanning they're reading books they're playing games nothing's going on um and then i just had this thing like it's going to be like the outpost like they're going to get overrun with all these dudes so like i'm like making this list of like mistakes they're making and, and all this stuff and then like it it looks like it's going to take this turn like oh they're going out there and this is probably going to be a movie where like there's a couple of dudes out there and they can't get to them and they're stuck in a sniper position. And that's kind of what I thought was going to happen. And there was a little bit of foreshadowing where he talks about all these, like, what are we going to leave behind in Afghanistan? And he's like the Russians left like all these millions of mines across the country. And then they get down in there and they're just on a regular like en route to where they can set up this sniper position. And then boom. And it happens. Right. There's one dude. You know injured and just like in the in the previous film and what i was mentioning earlier like this one thing goes wrong and then it just cascades and by the end of it there's you know five six people injured by this one of them like really critically and as, as catherine was saying you're stuck and it's just like really visceral part and i thought the filmmakers did a great part of just like from the time the first mine went off i was on the edge of my seat worried about when the next one was going to go off Mm-hmm. And they just like the rolling rock scene where the rock just like gets kicked down the hill and you're just watching it the whole time and it lands in that area. You know, like, is a mine going to go off? And the mine just going and they just almost start almost going off unexpectedly. And it's like, it was, it was crazy. And these, the, the, what these guys went through, right, to just try to save their buddy's life and the, the insidious nature of these minds is they're obviously anti personal minds. They're not meant to like kill, they're meant to like maim, right? Cause you see them like they step on a mine, huge explosion. I mean, the one guy was in three or four of these explosions right in his general vicinity. And he just keeps getting more and more like injured and injured. And it's just it's so yeah, it was like really hard to watch and just the how they had to like what they had to go through to survive that and what they were willing to do for each other. Mm -hmm. And I thought one of the one of the best parts about it was when the medic, you know, that that additional explosion goes off and he sits up and his ears ring. And this is like the third one that one of these guys has been through. And he just, he's been trying to hop around, hop all over to to where the, the injured people are. And he just gets up after he gets hit with this. And it was mostly a concussive blow. So he's not really like super injured. And he's just like, F it. And he just picks up his back and he just walks over to where the injured people are, where he had just spent so long trying to get there carefully. He was like, you know what? If I get blown up, I get blown. Up. I'm trying to save my buddy's life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just thought that was like really, really, um, you know, an intense part of the movie. But I overall, I thought it was like, Yeah, really well done, very fantastic. Well, I did the
2: same thing you did Ryan like I'm after watching the outpost I watched this like probably a week later and then I'm sitting there and I'm like okay well they have no cover like they're out here in these like little sand bunkers they're sleeping without roofs they're just like hanging out one guy's swimming I'm like okay I I, that I thought the same thing because I had never heard this this um like narrative before I didn't know anything about like the true story and I'm thinking I I thought the same thing I'm like okay this is what's going to happen these are all the things like from watching all these movies and from you know, the little bit of military knowledge that I've amassed from talking to so many people. This is what I know. I was not expecting that at all. And it was just, I know every time I was like, okay, this cannot be the last one. Like I know another one's going to go off and somebody else is going to get hurt. Like,
0: yeah, it's very different at the beginning because, you know, beginning of the outpost, you're panning around Scott Eastwood and just seeing these mountains and feeling that claustrophobia at the beginning of this one maybe the British just know how to set up better forward operating bases, but this one's on top of the mountain and they do an aerial shot of that whole area. And it's like, yeah, no, one's going to get to these guys. Um, but, uh, and go ahead, Evan. Yes.
3: Oh, no, I, I, uh, the one thing I was going to say was, um, you know, because of the situation, it's kind of like the opposite of the outpost in that the outpost they're kind of in the middle of nowhere and they're waiting for people that can come and help and, uh, in any way that they can. And in this, you know, there there are so many people by that riverbed, but they're just not able to help because of the situation that they're in. Like they're surrounded by, you know, uh, friendlies and, and, and but there's no way to go into that minefield safely. Um, so it's kind of like, you have all this uh, support but they're kind of helpless to watch this situation unfold until they get, you know, the right help. until they can get a helicopter um, that can, um, you know, uh come down in and and I, I was reading something about the black hawk helicopters there's something about the blades that don't have as much downward force so that okay. they could fly lower or something like that and not set off the mines um ryan
0: do you know anything about those
3: uh, i do
1: I, well i do know that a chinook i mean it would have to have less downward for it. the chinook is a, is a two vertical prop and it's just a huge huge helicopter and it has like those big jet engines on the back um, which you see kind of work in the movie where it's like blowing that stuff all over the place. But yeah. Um, and, and Blackhawks are primarily used and, and uh, equipped to do medevacs, medical evacuations where Chinooks typically aren't like they can move big amounts of people, but um, they don't typically have like the capability that a, a, a UH 60, a, a Blackhawk does, but you, and you see it at the end of the film, like the the winches and the hoists and everything and and how they're able to get people out and, know they would have flight surgeons right on or flight medics like right on the Blackhawk and prepared to receive multiple litters you know of of people and stuff like that
2: I was just like really shocked too we talk about like you know how remote these guys are like did you notice at the beginning they're just like waiting for battery to to power their their communication and for me that was like a little bit of foreshadowing I was like okay at some point like communication is going to break down a little bit which it I guess it, it kind of does in a way um but like just for them to get basic things like batteries and the way they rushed to that the supplies when they came it seemed like they had been waiting for a really long time like just for basic things that to me it seems like okay this is what we need to make this like outpost run successfully you know I, I feel like in every one of these movies there's like a tie-in too, to like something happens with the communication or proximity of help that makes it just like even more of a tragedy
0: you know th- i would say to our audience though go into that first half hour with the closed captioning on oh 100
3: um, <laughs> percent. yeah because
0: this is a british movie uh docudrama so they are uh there are tons of sort of british w- war military slang that they are using um that i w- i'm so glad i was able to read it because the accents are there uh and very authentic i'm sure they're all british actors um but uh yeah, I was lost on a lot of the conversations and thankfully I had the closed captioning on so I could sort of read it and you could follow along. Um, but if you don't know British slang it they they they're not shy about using it it's it's very heavy in the first like half hour 45 minutes.
2: And no they were word. joking with each other too in some ways and I was like what is that if I had to read it because I didn't understand like some of the jokes they were making to each other because it was all in, you know, a slang that we're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. And yeah. another- okay
1: all right i just I, I was gonna agree it is like it takes me a while like when i'm listening to like a british movie like or even if it's like a show on netflix or something like it takes a while for like my brain to start translating british to
0: english <laughs> and you wouldn't think because it's all english but it, it's like it, it, yeah sure. I, and I, you know, I wish i could bring up some some uh some um what do i going to say samples samples from the movie uh of what they were saying because it, it, it's so many different things that you're just like wait what does that mean what does that mean what does that yeah. mean um, but it was, yeah go ahead Devin
3: oh I, I was just going to say that uh, another similar thing to the outpost and what, what Ryan was saying about like not not believing it until you see it you know there's there's a character in the movie that tells them that you know there's a helicopter 10 minutes away for like four hours <laughs> you know like most of the day you mm-hmm. know and it is uh, you know they I think both films kind of do a great job at illustrating the struggles that these guys go through one on a, on a much more grand scale and like the the outpost. And then this movie is a very like, even more claustrophobic, very small setting. Um, But I thought the filmmaker did a great job of um, really building the tension with minimal elements. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's kind of like, you know, Jaws, you know, it's not seeing the shark is what, you know, builds the tension and not knowing where these minds are, not knowing, you know, where it's safe to go um, and and just feeling you're just helpless. You know, the, the only thing you can do is stay still and try to um, keep the spirits of the, the injured men high. Um, mm-hmm. And that becomes, you know, a, a big part of like the second half of the film is just keeping these guys engaged and keeping these guys Uh, feeling like there's still hope to get out of here
2: there was that one scene between the two the two guys it was the first guy that got injured and he's telling his buddy like hey you know tell my wife I have an uh, like I have a baby on the way tell my wife like I want the baby to be named this if it's a boy and this if it's a girl and his friend who is uninjured just like loses it on him and it's like I'm not telling her anything like you're making it out of here and then they all just like sit there and laugh but like that moment I felt was like kind of got me in a way like I felt that was one of the like really well like, acted points of the film where his buddy's like no you know like we came down here for you and we're all stuck so you better you better make it I just thought like that like interpersonal dynamic was really well done too
0: yeah for them to all be there was great there was this oh there's a tension this massive amount of tension that was broken at points because of the human element of them being like they would laugh They'd, I mean, the horrific scene that they are in and there would be these moments of levity where they would all laugh. And it was just like, you know, you can't, you know, as, a, as an actor myself, you can't have tension last for that long without breaks in the tension. You have to have some level of here and there. Um, there was even the sort of like the ghostly, you know, tension of the background, where he's, are the Taliban going to attack this position? Because if you don't know the story, you're waiting for some enemy to attack. They're down in a valley, just like in the outpost, you, you know, you're waiting for, are they stuck in a minefield and they get attacked? And it's just like, you know, this continuous build. Um, but to, to speak to your point, Evan, about the claustrophobia of that, that's that whole second half of the movie. You can't have wide shots, you can't have like everything pulled back and all that. Everything is intimate in your face and that really speaks to how well this movie was acted. Um, Just amazing acting overall from the whole cast, Um, especially the medic. It was just like, you were really pulling for him because you just saw the desperation on his face that he was like, "I, I have to help him. How am I gonna get across this minefield? what do I have to do? And I love the point where his, 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 um, his buddy says, as he's sort of jumping across this minefield mentions about his, his girlfriend or his wife. And he just looks back at him. Like, why would you mention this right now? Yeah. And then he like, he says it, he mutters, he's like, "What the hell am I doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I was, I get, ch- I get chills thinking about solid, just good acting. Um, yeah. that really pulls you <laughs> into the story.
1: Yeah, that was that was probably my favorite example in the movie of like the the morbid sense of humor that can come out. And the the right this guy is like literally throwing his backpack, see if there's any mines, and then jumping onto his backpack. And he doesn't even make it two jumps, and the guys behind him are already making fun of him. Like here he is <laughs> jumping through a minefield to try to get to his buddies, and they're like, and they're and and, and they're making fun of him about yeah. it. And I thought I was like, wow, like there are certain movies and times where like. You can see like that type of humor um, come out uh, that is pretty accurate that that can exist in like especially infantry units or or combat units or or, or any unit that's in like a that's very close knit um, and and uh, that that's one of them and I I really I I thought about that and when you were mentioning that I was like that was one of my kind of one of my favorite parts of the movie
3: yeah <laughs> and, yeah the second half of the film could almost be like a stage play you know it's uh, completely. You know it's it's just actors in one location, and um, that's really where you know they they shine and, and talking about like the the humor element of like that gallows humor in such a uh like harrowing situation, I love too that at one point they like as they're laughing, they pull back to like the support on the ridge. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, to them, they're like, what the hell are these guys laughing about? (laughs) They're in the worst situation I could possibly imagine. So it's like the filmmaker like pulls out the show the absurdity of this, but, you know, those are the things that keep people alive, you know, because it's, uh, I would imagine that when you're in that type of scenario, the the moment that you feel hopeless is the moment that it becomes hopeless, you know? And and that, that kind of stuff that remaining, um you know, it helps you keep your humanity in those situations and, and keep up hope. And I thought they did a really good job of, of illustrating that in, in a way that felt realistic to the, the characters themselves. You were getting like character arcs
0: throughout the whole thing. You were getting exposition dumps here and there from the yeah. characters, but they, it, it was so natural. It made you feel for them. You were talking about people and their family, their loved ones, all these things that you don't know any of those people, any of those characters, but you could tell they meant a lot to that character and that's solid acting that's really solid um so I mean just beyond the story and the fact that it was a well-made movie I recommend it simply for like actors who might be just looking for like a a, a, just a well-made film
2: well that's you like when I see good acting and in a movie that's based on a true story my thought always goes back to like okay like did these actors spend time with these guys like how much did they talk to them? How much did they immerse themselves in like the history of this moment? Like, how you know, you know what I mean? Like, as an actor, I, I'm not, I've never acted a day in my life. But like, I mean, you know, it just kind of makes me wonder, like, what their prep was like for this to really get into their mindset. And I would imagine, you know, if you're in a movie playing a true character, you'd want to, you know, talk to that person in real life, if you could, and all that, it just makes me wonder, like, how they, how they like prepped and were able to get in that mindset of, of being present in that moment you know that they didn't experience for real
0: it's tough it's very tough as an actor to be able to convey tension i think um and and they all did such a great job of that um throughout that entire second part and the one thing that i was maddening about that second half of the movie was where is the helicopter. Why are they not communicating that this is a minefield? Every time a helicopter, like this Chinook h- shows up and they're like, minefield, they're screaming at these guys, like get out of here. We need a Black Hawk. And you're just like, what, where, where is the helicopter? Get it there. Like, Come on. Um, and that's something I wanted to ask you about, Ryan, because it's like, how many points were you just like, just get there, just get the orders in and get there.
1: Yeah. Um, so I thought the same thing. And so I was like thinking about like, what are all the reasons that this could happen, right? Like, so number one, I think would be the setting, right? Like, as Evan described, like they're obviously in a place where they're at a dam, right? And there's civilians around. So, and there's not much going on. So there they're probably, they're probably might not be, you know, medevac assets nearby because it's kind of like, we need to put them in places where it's more dangerous, where they're probably going to be needed more often, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I think the other probably biggest thing is, right? In, in Afghanistan, um, you know, you had this international coalition of forces, and so there's the British Army, the American Army, you know, other other people and anytime you have like that, that difference there's probably going to be layers of communication that need to be worked through. Um, and so it, it looked to me like those were American, you know, helicopters coming into coming into to do the medevac, um, which is probably I would imagine accurate. Um, And then how far away are they and then relaying that communication we already saw through the movie their communication is bad. Um, And then what is the normal. So normally typically how it would work is like you would call up what's called a nine line medevac. This is how American forces do it and there's nine lines, obviously, uh, about what, what the injury is what the potential landing site is like do we need any special equipment like a hoist. Um, what is my radio frequency? And so what would happen, you know, how I'm going to, how am I going to mark the landing site? Those things like that. So then what would happen is like, if it's approved, right, the helicopter would come in, they would radio you because you would have told them when you called it up, this is my frequency. So the the helicopter would radio you. And then it would say like, okay, this is what we're doing in. We're coming on this heading. They would establish communication and and do the medevac. And so when you, when you have all of these like different layers of communication, bad communication, communication between two different military forces of two different countries, like it seems like very plausible how that would how that would happen, how it would take so long. And then you can also kind of imagine, imagine you are the person in charge of, of, of getting these helicopters out there, right? First initial report comes in, hey, British guy stepped on a mine, you know, that, that's all you heard, right? Okay, they're requesting a medevac. Okay, what do they, well, what do they need? I mean, they don't even, they weren't even aware at that point that they needed a hoist because they thought it was just kind of like a one-off right and then you and then it just snowballs right so then like getting that information out there and then you're like you as the maybe the combatant commander is like well I need to focus my resources on where the battle is some guy stepping on a mine on a dam where we haven't seen any action lately is not exactly top of my priority so like, Mm -hmm. then it just kind of snowballs until it becomes like so necessary for it to happen. And everything in the military takes a long time, so I can see how that would that would occur. You know that that it would go from like we need this now to it's several hours later, and we're finally getting it. You know, so I know
0: that by the time like I think it was the fourth mine that went off, um, I just buried my head in my hands and was like, no, like, yeah. oh my god, these guys. Like, y- you just you just really felt terrible for them, and that leads me to my big question here. Um, as a civilian, and maybe somebody who, you know, years ago I could probably watch any war movie and feel for the characters and be interested in the story and really enjoy the the film and overall the experience, but I think the time that I've spent talking with veterans over the past couple years and the stories I've heard, the real stories that I've heard, I watch a movie like this and it affects me more uh, now than it did a couple years ago. It affects me more now to watch what I know these guys went through and the losses they experienced um, because of the time I've spent with veterans. And that's something that I, I hope our audience maybe takes away from this is like, you know, you can you can watch a movie like this and really, uh, you know, uh, sort of see the I you know the scenario, feel the tension, you know, the danger, all of these things. Um, but spend some time talking with. A veteran or or a group of veterans, and then go back and watch it again and see how much your mindset changes.
2: And that was kind of what I was mentioning earlier, like when I said this movie made me like physically uncomfortable. And I think that's why I have so much more of a sense now about how real things are. With like you, Sean, with the stories I've heard and everything. And I that's why I said like I feel like a lot of people sometimes just watch this for an entertainment value purpose because they like war movies. And I think that maybe some people often. So many times often like glaze over the fact like this is real i i think this movie was probably one of the realest i've seen that like evoke the most emotion out of me maybe mm-hmm.
0: yeah and i do love at the end that, that you get an end credits you get in a sense of like who the actual guys were where they are now um what what has where they've come because you know they're stepping on mines, they're losing limbs like how did these guys survive i wish there was almost a sequel Kilo 2 Bravo to give us the real guys and, and what they're out there doing because a lot of them went on to 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 be have very successful lives you know and you you think how do you come out of that trauma that's sort of my next question for these this unit how did they come out of this and, and these guys and the trials that they had to overcome after being in a minefield
3: um, I think one of the guys went back to service he did with, an, you with mean, a you know with a prosthetic which is like i mean that's incredible mm-hmm. to
2: that same place it already went to that same place like a few years later that i mean that's like a different breed right there you know yeah. just some people are built different
0: evan you saw that we'll go, we'll bring it all full circle back to uh they, we left as brothers you watched them come back to vietnam a little different not serving but going back to a place where they experienced combat conflict trauma um What was your experience watching that?
3: It was fascinating. um, Just seeing how um, different people react to uh, the situation. Because I I think that there can be a temptation amongst civilians to um, generalize the veteran experience. Um, You know, if you don't know many people that serve or you know, you, you're you taking in a lot of um, your information about how um, veterans interact with each other or feel about war through films or, you know, media. Um, so to be there and, and, you know, have six different people who had six different experiences in the war to begin with, you know, whether they were military police or a Marine or uh, in the army, uh, an army captain, you know, so you have all these different people with different experiences going back for different reasons. And it was really interesting to see how each of them kind of reacted. And I think in all, after talking to all six of them, I think they all um, felt that they benefited from it. Um, I think especially Vietnam, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I think for the veterans of certain Vietnam, there's, that weighs heavy on them, you know, because of, you know, how horrific the fighting was, but also how the relationship with the civilian population was when they got home and how the culture amongst that era of veterans kind of became one where you don't talk about your experiences. You put that away. People don't want to hear about it. It's not popular. You might get called a baby killer. You might get called, you know, these horrible things for doing what was asked of you from your country. so it was uh it was really fascinating to see th- how each responded, and that at the end of the day it did feel like they were all able to take some sense of closure, some sense of peace, and they took it from different areas too, which was um, which was really interesting to see as well. and um, I think just seeing a place that experienced war, I mean that was the first place I've ever gone that had experienced war that you could tell at one point that they experienced war, you know, going to places where there are still B-52 craters, where, um, you know, there are places that still have, you know, bullet holes in the facade or, or, you know, things that have not been rebuilt since the war. So even 50 years later, seeing the scars of war. But I think for those guys, it was so good to see how far it had come, you know, cause when they left it, it was, you know, um, you know, in ruins you know, in many of the places that they were serving. So to see these places that were like, you know, to be at marble mountain and there's gift shops now, you know, I think to them is like, (laughs) could you imagine, (laughs) this is a hunk of rocks here, you know? So, uh, yeah, it was an incredible experience.
0: And uh, to sort of finish up our, our reviews of, of both, obviously we all really liked Kilo2 Bravo. Um, but Ryan, uh, you know, your, your firsthand experience in the military, uh, you look at both these films and say post 9-11, you know, these are two films that really sort of give us an experience of what war in Afghanistan was like.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, for sure. So I've, I've never been to Afghanistan, right. But I can certainly respect and understand the, the terrain and the difficulties and, and, you know, soldiering is very similar, uh, everywhere. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, I think that they were both fantastic and, you know, um, I'd love to give you a Ryan rants, but it's, it's tough to do a Ryan rant about true stories, right? Like, uh, if anything, I, w- I would rant about like, you know, why did these guys have to go through that, right? It would be kind of directed at what the, the wrongs that were done to these people to put them in the situation uh, that would do that. And that's, that's a real shame. But I, I really respect what Evan said about, um, you know, watching these guys gain something from, from their return to their point of conflict. And I think that that's really great. Um, and hopefully, you know, uh, this generation of veteran can can get that closure at some point as well. Um, with different things like, uh, you know, a war memorial on the National Mall or being able to being able to travel back to some of these places where they were in conflict. I know personally, if, if it was ever offered to me, you know, in 20 or 30 years, I'd love to go back to Iraq and, and see some places that I went, uh, but maybe one day. right?
0: Uh, well, this does it for this episode of the Scott, but we're gonna definitely do another movie review because I've really been enjoying diving into the post-9/11 more movies and, and maybe Catherine will take her hand at at suggesting the next two. Um, <laughs> but uh we uh thank you for joining us uh, on the podcast. Please like, share, subscribe, ring the bell, and and drop me a line, Sean S H A U N at veteransbreakfastclub.com to this illustrious panel thank you guys all for for jumping in and chatting war movies with me um and we will hopefully see you soon on another episode